name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we huh. will be discussing <laughs> Enter the Void, a movie set in Tokyo, hence that music. What the fuck was that? Like that? Yeah, I did. That is from another movie set in Tokyo called Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious. <laughs> you hear it? It's Japanese rap. Now I hate it. Thanks for ruining it. <laughs> you can hear the girls, the Japanese girls in the background going, Fast and Furious! Oh, <laughs> like, I thought they'd just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... As I mentioned, I'm, I'm t- <laughs> I totally <laughs> saw the wrong movie this week. <laughs> uh, I am joined by uh, Christian... Mer- Mer- oh, Mukowski. That's, oh, Christian Mikowski. I just—I um, think I figured out how to say your name. Yeah, that's yeah. All right. Well, I, it, it matters. I, I'm the—I'm the friend who introduced you to the drug dealer. My name's Gaspar. <laughs> and also mm. Kelly Wand, who has a Enter the Void-related tagline that is hopefully more relevant than my choice of music. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kelly Wand, you have an Enter the Void-related tagline for us this week. Uh, it is not more surprising to be born twice than once. Voltaire. I was going to guess Sartre, but, but very good. <laughs> okay. It ends the same. Their names, almost. Because French, too. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us a bit about what this Enter the Void movie is to make sure people don't confuse it with that mountain climbing movie? Well, actually, uh, what, I, what I wrote down uh, for this week is that we saw uh, Enter the Void, as, as you mentioned. It, it is a 2010 psychedelic melodrama movie directed by Gaspar Noé. And what I wrote for my synopsis is, um, it is not about climbing mountains in the Peruvian Andes. This film is rated NR, which means not rated, because the A is afraid of erect penises. Ha ha. And that's all you have to say, Dingus. That's all all he has to say. Okay. That's all I have to say. I think it's better. Without to a rating, you have nothing. Right. I think it's better to tell people what this film is not, rather than telling them what it is at this juncture. Fair enough. Uh, that's very. So, okay. Well, well, now that we have done that for everyone, uh, I did give away that it's about Tokyo. I don't think you even did that, Dingus. So I apologize if that spoils it for anyone. But for those of you listening, if you haven't seen it, we are now going to get very spoilery. We've all three seen it. Uh, at, at Kelly Wan's behest, what, what's more, Kelly Wan, yeah. this movie was, I think, the only movie last year you liked better than this was King's Speech. Yes, I liked King's Speech the best, and then this movie. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, Kelly Wan, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I think I think they're of a piece, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, uh, so if you have not seen Enter the Void, be careful because. <laughs> <laughs> that, that applies to the, the act of seeing it as well, as well as sticking around on the podcast. Uh, Kelly Wan, give us... A- is your movie <laughs> advice to people. That's, that's true. I would, I, you know, though, though, I would say that. That doesn't mean anything about what I think of it. I would say that to anybody going into any movie directed by Gaspar Noé. Be careful. This is the only one I've seen. I opened with this movie. This is... Uh, oh, we'll get into that. We'll get wow. into the history of this movie. Actually, yeah. So I, I don't, I'm not sure you're qualified to do this podcast, Kelly Wan. Can we get a replacement? Uh, I've never been qualified to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're too, it's a little late, isn't it? Uh, I can't wait to hear your synopsis for this, Kelly Wan. So uh, what do you got for us? If I'd known, you were gonna, if I'd known I was ever going to have to do a synopsis for this movie, I probably would have left it off the list just for that. 
because it was such a pain in the ass. Um, is that your synopsis? No, no. We're not even... This is the Enter the Voipsis. <laughs> Enter the Voipsis. That sounds like a Jerry Lewis parody of a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> Voice over, proto- over internet protocol. It's... All right, Sorry. nerd. Anyway. <laughs> you just pwned Dingus. Nice. Ah! Called me a nerd. I can't Misfortune. Unfortunately, that's a compliment. Well, I'm the only one who doesn't know how to record a podcast of the three of us, so I'm the least nerdy. Well, I'd argue that partly applies to Dingus and I as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have multiple. Never mind. This, according this to, is... according, with our technical know-how, I consider every podcast a miracle. So, I do too. I hope the listeners feel that way. I hope <laughs> <laughs> So, Kelly Wan, give us your Enter the Void synopsis, because I, I don't know about you guys. I have a lot to say. I'm, I'm champing okay. it a bit here. so Yeah, I'm champing, too. Yeah. Well, I want it to be all lingery like the movie and languid. But let's get to it and forget everything I just said. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so this dude, Oscar, is filming himself hanging out in his Tokyo apartment across from this bar called The Void with his hot sister that he likes a little too much. Um, I know I would. Huh? And, right out of the gate. Excellent. Uh, you know, now we, we don't have to, Now it's not hanging over us. Uh, <laughs> everything sounds like a dick reference. Uh, so he gets blazed, and he reads some of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, or as I call it, Thursday. <clears throat> and uh, he zones out for 20 minutes, and he ponders some laserium double helixes, and then he gets a phone call to meet this dude whose mom he's been banging at the void and sell him some anison but uh his raspy voiced purple shirted friend who loaned him the book of the dead comes over and asks him how his reading's coming and oscar thinks carefully and replies uh <laughs> and alex goes all right that's covered in chapter three so they walk together to the void uh so oscar can sell his buddy some excedrins but it turns out to be a sting which the friend um, courteously apologizes for. So he locks himself in the head and tries to flush the pills down the urinal, even though Japanese urinals don't have Dristan-sized drains because they're racist and the cops knock on the door and threaten him, but he buys time by getting shot dead. So his stone soul tracks around by Steadicam and crane shots to visit his sister, who's working as a hooker, but moonlighting as a stripper. And she's having sex with this Japanese guy who also likes her a little too much. Um, And Oscar disapproves because he's racist, but he watches anyway because there's nothing else on. Um, But finally, his soul gets bored, so he goes back to the restroom drain and hangs out there. And then he goes to that guy's mom's stove, and he hangs out in the front oven burner. And then his sister wishes on a monkey's paw for him to come back to life, so he comes back as a golem. But the sister's not interested once they get him in the car. So he visits his friend, who's still wearing his purple shirt but eating chicken bones from a trash bag full of them in a cold alley. Or as I call it, Valentine's Day. And we learn uh, Oscar's soul is hot for his sister, even though it's not attached to a dick anymore because they were in the backseat of the car in this tunnel when their parents got killed by a truck's headlights when they were kids, but also because his friends made a psychedelic model railroad set. It's made out of a purple light bright peg, so his soul hangs out in there for a while. 
and his sister has an abortion because she's racist, but the guy who sold out her brother because he was banging his mom because he was hot for his sister shows up at the sister's door to apologize again and make amends. But she's all, what the hell kind of movie you think this is? So his soul channel surfs into a hotel made out of purple strobe lights where a bunch of people are banging each other like Zion and the Matrix Reloaded, which was <laughs> so maybe a dead character's hallucination. And the guy who loaned him the book of the dead lovingly bangs his sister, who gives birth to her brother. Only she's really his mom who died in the tunnel, a.k.a. birth canal, and he's clearly his younger him because the room's yellower and Tokyo was purple. The end. <laughs> All right. That's not actually uh, – that doesn't depart from what actually happened as much as your usual synopses. It's out of the void. Yeah. I think you should have done it twice. It's like he made the movie based on the synopsis that I would do. fit <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm glad you guys saw it, because it was a lonely feeling. It's, it, there was no one to talk about it with, and I felt kind of lonesome afterwards. Well, explain so. to us, Kelly Wan, why this was your second favorite movie of last year. Why, why did you dig this so much? Because um, it was the most... It was a really expensive experimental movie, which is kind of unusual, because usually experimental movies are... Not only do they not get made, but they're usually really cheap-looking. And so this was the first one... I think I've seen in a while where it was a guy who had a decent budget able to make something this excruciating to watch, <laughs> which I respect. And I haven't seen any of his other movies. Like, he got he his inspiration. His favorite movie, by the way, is 2001, so suck it. And, uh, <laughs> that's to Dingus, I presume. You don't I'm like sh- it either. I'm shocked that that's his favorite movie. I can't believe it. No, I do like he, 2001. I mean, I, I am not the Dingus is the one on the podcast who hates 2001. I, I, I respect you, 2001 more than I like it, uh, but I'm not I'm no I'm, I'm not necessarily a 2001 detractor. Huh. Well, that's based on having seen this again. And uh, 2001 actually appears. It, it has product placement in his last movie, by the way. Uh, the end of Irreversible contains a very prominently placed poster for uh, 2001. Oh. Well, that's a little unsubtle for him. Uh, that Gaspar Noé has never been accused of subtlety, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, all right, so, so, go, so Kelly Wan, you found it excru- when you say excruciating to watch, uh, explain what you mean. Well, not for me, but I think most people would find it excruciating. And um, why? Well, because it's very languid. And at le- in a Terrence Malick movie when it's languid, there's at least still people getting shot at, but in this it's mostly... There's a lot of repetition. It's about rhythms. It's in the form of a drug trip, and if you're not on drugs and you're watching someone take a drug trip, I would imagine it's all come down. Like It's really boring for stretches. Um, and he said... Well, one of his inspirations was he took mushrooms in his 20s and he watched this uh, movie called Lady in the Lake... It's a 1947 uh, movie based on a Robert Chandler novel. But it was like all point of view. It's M. Night Shyamalan, isn't it? No. Is that what you were thinking when I said that? No. Uh, <laughs> it's the, it's, that's the M. Night Shyamalan movie that has a, a theme of water involved. But the point of Lady in the Lake, Kelly Wand, was... Go, go on. Because there's a, there's a direct inspiration that he took from Lady of the Lake into Enter the Void... The, the well, point, of, point of view, right. Um, yeah. But he said, well, never mind. Let me tell you what you say and what you think this movie is about. 
if anything. And then uh, so that's, so that's a could... tough question. Let's table that. I do want to. I would lo- actually. I would love to hear a, a summed up guess of what the movie's about. Uh, before we get to that, I feel I'm... I've talked too much. I want to hear Dingus's thing. And you're oh, well, you're the you're the you're the front man for this movie, by the way, because you're the one who I think really liked it. Uh, you sort of championed us seeing it, which I'm glad you did. I would have seen it anyway. I'm very glad I, I did see it. Uh, but I'm going to predict that that Dingus wasn't crazy about it, and I don't think I was that crazy about it either. Uh, I, I like 2001. I respected this movie more than I liked it, I, I would say. Uh, and mm. I had a lot of problems with it, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. Ah, I'm excited. Uh, so, so Dingus, you you go now. Uh, how, how did, did you find this excruciating to watch? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, in a good way or a bad way? Because Kelly Wand, when you say it's excruciating to watch, you, I, it sounds like you kind of mean that as a compliment. Dingus, is that what you have in mind when you agree that it's excruciating to watch? Uh, I'm going to say no, um, although I am really happy that I saw it. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I was so upset watching this movie and i <laughs> often felt like pounding my head against a wall um so when when kelly said a movie this excruciating to watch i was fascinated i mean i really my ears really perked up and then unfortunately he he, he backed off and said i mean for other people um yeah well everyone but me well yeah i think you were talking i think you were there was a little bit of a revelation there i mean there well might i don't want to see it again so yeah, I think there's a little bit of masochism there, but not if you don't want to see it again. But I'm I'm happy I saw it. Um, but I'm also uh, it was just a it was just a uh, God I'm so te- nah. it's an ordeal. It's it's an ordeal. It is it is a freaking ordeal, and not for uh, for very good reasons. But I you know I can't say I'm I'm not happy I, I didn't see it. And I didn't want to really talk about it. I wanted to let you guys talk about it because I hate to. Uh, to um to slag on a guy's number two film of the year, I really don't want to. Do I don't that. care. I know you don't <laughs> no. care, but I do. I care. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand can take it. Uh, yeah, of and I can, but I don't I know if I can. <laughs> um, well, here's what. Here's one of the things that I'm that I find really curious, Kelly Wand, uh, that you have not seen Gaspar Noe's other movies. I've seen at least three other things by him. I'm trying to think. He's only made three movies, I think. So well, he made a short. That, yeah, oh, I'm thinking of the short, and that's the thing, Dingus, is I didn't really remember his short from Delisted at all. I think it was a woman having sex with a stuffed animal or something. Um, uh, it was, yeah, his short in Destricted is this, is basically masturbation. It's I think it's called We Have Sex Alone or something like that. Yeah, and that, we, so I've seen that, and then I've seen I Stand Alone and, uh, and Irreversible. Uh, is there something else he's made, Dingus? No, I, actually, now that you say that, it might be "We Come Alone." It's something like that. It's, but it's it's very much a lot of loud sirens while people masturbate. For it's just interminable, and I think it's still actually going on. It literally is. <laughs> but it fits with Districted. I mean, Districted is full of that kind of. I mean, that was kind of the point of Districted, and so I can understand that. But but Kelly, right. one, what surprises me is that I I think both "I Stand Alone" and "Irreversible" have a sort of aggressive, in-your-face brilliance to them that I feel is missing in Enter the Void and is replaced with a lot of really impressive technique. Um, mm. both, uh, well, now you can't go, because mm, you haven't seen either of those movies. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but I'm, yeah, but I can apply those words to Enter the Void and decide whether that Well, let me, then, 
let, let me tell you what I feel Irreversible and I Stand Alone have that Enter the Void doesn't have and that I think Enter the Void needs. Um, part of my problem with in, Enter the Void is I felt like, well, it reminded me a lot of some other movies that I, I want to talk about in a minute, but I wish you'd seen Irreversible because Irreversible has such a powerful hook based on for two things, for me, a third thing. Uh, and the two things are when you're watching Irreversible, it's not really clear what is going on because it has this backwards in time storytelling that makes for a whole different kind of mystery than a straightforward linear narrative. So the first scene of Irreversible is basically the resolution, but you have no idea what's leading up to that. And as so it's like movie, Memento. It's, it's, it's kind of like Memento. Yes, it's a bit like Memento. It's a bit like that uh, Pinter play, which I can't think of the name of. But, but yeah, it has a backwards in time structure to where the first scene is the last scene and, and vice versa. Uh, Memento's not quite that clear. There's a lot of back and forth in Memento. This is very straightforward. I think Irreversible is 13 scenes, and the 13th is the first thing to happen chronologically. So it just moves backwards. And as it moves backwards, different scenes are important revelations about why people are doing things. Mm. Um, but, but more importantly, I feel what Irreversible has and what makes Irreversible ultimately successful for me, because Irreversible, Irreversible is a very confrontational, very difficult to watch film. The final scene uh, is, a, is a, a very tender moment between Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci. And the connection that they have, their real life husband wife, uh, is kind of the, you might say, the final reveal in that movie. Uh, and it's it's very human. Uh, it's you know it's a long drawn out scene between the two of them, uh, and it casts a completely different light over everything you've just seen. And I feel that instead, what we have in Enter the Void is a pair of admittedly pitiable orphans. I mean, I feel sorry for them, but I I never felt like it was as concerned with sort of their humanity and them as characters. I never felt like I was watching powerful performances or powerful emotion. I mean, I felt like I was watching a couple of very confused people making dumb choices. Um, and Irreversible doesn't have that. I mean, there's a very clear emotional hook in Irreversible that I think is missing here. Uh, and then finally, the third mm -hmm. thing for me in Irreversible is it ends with that uh, with uh, Beethoven's Seventh, which is this fantastic piece of music <laughs> that automatically makes any movie twice as good. And you know that music, Kelly Wan, from the end of King's Speech. <laughs> Irreversible ends with that same Beethoven uh, symphony. Uh, so those three mm. things for me make Irreversible fantastic. And there was no real counterpart for, for that in Enter the Void. Uh, there was nothing like the mystery that, that, that drove Irreversible. There was nothing about like the human connection that Vincent Casale and Bonacca Bellucci gave it. And, and certainly that fantastic bit of music. I mean, there's a lot of great sound design from one of the Daft Punk guys in uh, Enter the Void. Uh, but, but no hook for me like that, that Beethoven at the end of Irreversible. I think the distancing thing you're talking about is at least intentional. Um, because his comments on the movie, one quote he had was, he said, it's about the sentimentality of mammals and the shimmering vacuity of the human experience. Ugh. And that's very... <laughs> I mean, Gaspar Noe wanted to call irreversible time destroys everything. And he didn't call ah. it. So what he did instead was that was a title card that appears at the end of the movie. Uh, you get the credits, just like here, and he doesn't do credits so much as sears images into your retina. Uh, you know, that's oh, jeez, um, no kidding. Uh, so, uh, 
I think actually maybe you know what you know what I take that back. Irreversible did have credits that tilted upside down, if I'm not mistaken. It's but got I, a great you know credit what? sequence, they were actually. First, they were at the, the credits were at the beginning of Irreversible, weren't they? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Irreversible for, is definitely for a, a very title. good reason. Yeah. Irreversible is a better title because it's the backwards story, and the other title doesn't do that. But it also has meaning for the within the film. It's not just a. It's not just about a gimmick. Um, it's about uh, actions. But well, okay. I've seen the movie, so it is. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Kelly, I right. need to see Irreversible, because I think it's a much better instance of what Gaspar Noe does. Now, in I Stand Alone, which is his first movie... Uh, mm-hmm. it didn't it's about have, a butcher, right? It's a, uh, I think he was a butcher. It's, it's basically about incest. I mean, you can see his other... You can see the themes at work, not as powerfully, in Enter the Void. Uh, but but uh, I Stand Alone is uh, it's very Gaspar Noe in terms of theme, but it's got a fantastic performance uh, that gives Monica it... Bellucci? No, it's the dude uh, who's in the beginning of Irreversible for no discernible reason. Uh, it Just this old French guy. I, I think he's French or German. Anyway, uh, there's a great performance in I Stand Alone. Um, and I Stand Alone I think maybe benefits from being the first Gaspar Noe movie and you don't really know how shocking it's going to be. Uh, and then when it becomes that... Well, that's why I like this movie more than you did. Because right. it was my... Getting my feet wet at him. But in in defense of gimmicks, <laughs> I just want to give an example of something, that, a gimmick that, in the movie that I think is one of the reasons I, that I like it. Is, um, okay, in the last scene when he's born, everything's all blurry, which I found ingenious because you, he's giving you this ambiguity over whether he's just recalling his own birth or he's coming back with a new life. But he's also capturing the newness of being born because your eyes haven't booted up yet and you're not used to resolving imagery of your surroundings, which is why we don't remember that stuff because our brains haven't constructed filing cabinets yet <laughs> for memories. Mm-hmm. So his gimmick is... You're right, there's not much characterization, but I don't... Now, let me ask you, Kelly Wan, do do you really think, because I I, I agree, I thought that was a cool touch. However, I thought, like a lot of the rest of the movie, it was indulgent because I don't think he's telling a story about a guy who gets reborn. I think from the the title of the movie all the way through to what happens in the movie, it's very clear this is about a guy's dying hallucination. Right, and he said that even. He goes, this is about a guy who happened to be stoned when when he died. That's... That's okay. Like good. His, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I, so I don't think I think this idea that that ending with ambiguity about him being born is just manipulative and, and jerking the audience around. I mean, no, it's the character jerking himself around. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I, uh, I actually disagree. I, I think it's I think it's more about how death is the the, the final bit is is a trip is a drug Earth. trip of itself. It's not necessarily a, a guy dying who is on a drug trip. It's that death it's itself both. is a trip, is a drug trip. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, okay, awesome. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I could go with that, but I don't think there's any ambiguity though about is he get is he getting reborn for a little no, bit. No, no, I, 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 I agree was gonna, with that, yeah. yeah, for a little bit, I thought there was going to be this stuff where okay, he's going to be the sister's new baby when she gives birth to the baby, and uh, and that's his dad. Yeah, I mean, but it's like empire. But I think it was all clearly the stuff in this guy's head at his moment of death, and and Dingus that does fit with this idea that yeah, death is a drug trip. Either that, or this is what death is like when you're on drugs. But it's because he's got all these 
he the last things he heard were all these descriptions of the Book of the Dead and what happened. So it's like his dying hallucination involves all these things. And here's another problem I had with the movie. And and again, I don't want to. I, I didn't. I, I enjoyed it. You guys call it excruciating, and I agree with with with. You, you. didn't enjoy it. No, I did enjoy it. I really like what Gaspar Noe does, and I like that he had, uh, you, you know, the crane shot. He did this in the beginning of, and actually a couple of times in Irreversible, uh, mm. but he wasn't he wasn't able to be anywhere near as free as he he was here. Uh, I enjoyed the movie, like I said, though I respected it more than I liked it, and I you know I enjoy watching movies where I respect the filmmaker. Uh, I respected what he did. I thought, I, you know, here's the thing: is I think he clearly made the movie he wanted to make, even if I didn't necessarily <laughs> like it. This was clearly a labor of love. This this is obviously the kind of stuff that drives him as a filmmaker. Uh, I felt like he got exactly the performances he wanted. He got mm-hmm. exactly the cinematography he wanted, the fancy camera tricks, the CG stuff. I mean, I feel like this was a, a triumph for him. And just because I don't necessarily like it, that's that's fine. Uh, but I, I enjoyed watching this guy finally get to make this movie that he wanted to make. Uh, yeah. Do you hear what you guys are saying? Oh, excruciating? Good. Okay, good. Thank right, you. Right, yeah. Um, he's like Hanukkah. He's, yeah. He likes your... Okay, now here's where I think he's not like Hanukkah, Kelly Wand. My, part of my problem with the movie is ultimately I think, and I don't know how much to credit this to Gaspar Noe himself or this main character, Oscar, that he's writing about, but ultimately I think I've just seen a movie a two-and-a-half-hour movie about a guy <laughs> whose concept of the afterlife mm-hmm. is being able to watch his buddies fuck and move into their heads. I mean, that From is, to me, high up. his idea of heaven. This love hotel where he goes around in different rooms and he sees all of his friends and family having sex and he can have sex with his mother, with his sister, with his friends. He can go in people's heads. I mean, that's this guy's idea of heaven. And you know what? Fine, whatever, if that's what you're into cool but i can think of right off the top of my head three other movies about concepts of the afterlife that have a similar approach that i think are are much more i want to say maybe respectable or thoughtful or (laughs) philosophical i mean that ultimately to me seems a little facile uh, but that's I, but the I, character. Like that's I, I, the, I, I, that I, character. You, know you say that's the character, but I also yeah. suspect maybe that's Cosper Noe himself. I don't uh, think that's his view of heaven, though. I think it's his view of of hell. Well, not hell. It's just there, there's something that, that Oscar says like, that, that then we're going to be trapped here for all eternity. It's not heaven. It's, it's existence. I, I said the afterlife, though, basically. But yeah. Okay. Okay. But I would just I would just take issue with the word heaven. I think it's just the idea because he talks about being trapped. So we're going to be trapped in this world for all eternity. And I think that I think that everything you said is spot on, Tom. That this is just his philosophy, and he's just showing us in this overhead floating camera thing his philosophy. Well, heaven, he's up he's up high, and there's clouds, so there's some heaven motifs. I don't think well, it's I, about heaven. I think it's about being trapped. And and that existence is being trapped here forever, and that's partly why um, I say it, it. That why I would want to credit this to Gaspar Noe. I mean, he's obviously very existential, very French, uh, very mm-hmm. preoccupied with with sexuality and taboo and and drug use and clubs. I mean, that's kind of his deal, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so and 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 it it's it's fascinating to watch, but ultimately a little a little facile. I mean, if I want to hear, if I want to see people's perspectives on the afterlife. I want to see something like The Fountain or Beautiful or uh, 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and see, and and you know, that's the movie I wanted to bring up. Um, and uh, I want because I know Kelly Wand hasn't seen it, and I'm so happy you brought that up, Tom. Thank you so much. That I I really want to watch Beautiful uh, at some point a- in the future and do a podcast on it. All right. Uh, because I want us to be able, and I want to see it again, especially after having seen Enter the Void, because I just kept getting struck by how much I felt like that film handled this these issues in a way that spoke much more deeply to me than this film did. Mm-hmm. And I would love for us to discuss that movie. And I think that's the difference between Gaspar Noe as a writer and... Did Inaritu write Beautiful, Dingus? Uh, I, think so I, think, I think he did, actually. Okay. I think that's the difference yeah. between the writers of Beautiful and, uh, and, and Enter the Void. Uh, I like Enrique Two's writing, so now I should see it. Oh, you should but definitely see. Pe- yeah, and I beautiful. I borrowed a screener. Yeah, and and but. beautiful has like I was talking about that hook with Irreversible. I mean, so much of beautiful is based on uh, the, the writing and the character work that that Javier Bardem brings to it. And there is some really cool technique um, in in beautiful, but it, it's you know it, it's not quite as over the top. I mean, they're they're different movies, so it's a little unfair to to judge them, but they do have a lot in common. Uh, that we, we can talk about later, because you haven't seen Beautiful. You haven't seen Beautiful or Irreversible. Kelly Wan, do you even go to movies? <laughs> I saw The Fountain at the theater. Kelly Wan, would you like to tell me where you received your training? Afghanistan? Uh, Chechnya? <laughs> <laughs> well, what you call magic, I call <laughs> marijuana. Um, uh, I think well, I'm, I'm a sucker... Oh, okay, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. You're a sucker for what? Let's, uh... Well, this movie satisfies two of my... Uh, G spots for movies, which is a anything that was a lot of that was a huge pain in the ass to make always sucks me in. Like oh that must that like all that camera work seems like a fucking nightmare, mm-hmm. and it's also like nothing other I've ever seen before. Yes. It's yeah. like not other movies, and so that's a huge plus for me with anything. And that's why I think I that's part of why I respect it so much. I mean, there's early on in Irreversible, you can see him playing with this. And you see that he wants to do something like this, but mm. it just becomes a, a sort of little opening gimmick in Irreversible that eventually he kind of has to back away from. But uh, the the storytelling technique in this was just fantastic. I at first thought, I'm glad you said this, Kelly Wand, I at first thought, oh, this is a found footage movie. Yeah, me too. Me too. And yeah. then both hands come up when he's lighting the crack pipe. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't a dude playing around with a new camera. Uh, yeah, and that's so, such a bold. It's such a bold choice, and um, it's annoying too, because uh, there's that. You know, you talk about gimmicks. I'm sorry to jump in like this. Uh, you talk about gimmicks. There's the blinking that's constantly going on, yep. which um, which you alerts die. us. Yeah, that that, that alerts us. Right. Which alerts us to the fact that we're watching that we're in first person. Except, except you know, for me, it's like okay, that's a that's a really nice gimmick. Except when I blink, I'm not aware of it as a person. Wow. But I I like the idea. I like it's such a bold mm-hmm. choice. Uh, I'm sorry, Ty, I just, yeah, I jumped all over you. No, no, I and I felt the same way discovering it. I was like, wow, okay, this is what you're doing. And when I realized that he was blinking, and when yeah. I realized that he had stopped blinking, and when it decides to pull out to a more third person view where you're staring at the back of the guy's head. I mean, all of that I love as, as a way to show us this. Story. And it's also like it makes you... Hello? Go ahead. Oh, it makes you think that 
it's very cheap looking too. Like his apartment's cheap, and you go, oh, it's it's going to be a cheap ass found video movie, and then. 20 minutes, half an hour in, it suddenly becomes the most expensive thing you've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's, it looks Avatar. I mean, it's not special. It just seems, like, painstaking. But what it like, made me realize is how chintzy Tron looked in comparison. <laughs> I mean, this is what you do to create this kind of alternate reality. Right. Uh, right. And I just thought it did a fantastic... From the beginning of the drug trip to moving through the city in no-clip mode, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know, that's the cheat code that you type into a first-person shooter and you just fly through the walls, you know, he's all of that stuff. Which, by the way, I also, it occurred to me at one point, if the characters lived closer to each other, this movie would have been, like, 30 minutes shorter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much, like, flying around the city. and But you know what? I appreciate it. drainage. He, he took his time with it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. flying into bullet hole, holes and drain plugs and... yeah. Toilet. It was the time sense of someone who's dead, who doesn't right. have, who has either unlimited time or, yeah. You know. Right. Uh, I, I want to talk about that shift in perspective or that pseudo shift in perspective. Because when I first watched it, I felt like, you know, as I said, that first person thing is such a bold choice. Um, and then we, we uh, apparently shift into third person mode, where we're constantly, where it becomes a movie about the back of some guy's neck. Um, for for a lot of time, but then you kind of realize, well, no, we're still in first person mode because he's just he's the the player basically control or not controlling, but over this guy's shoulder. So we're still still seeing it from his point of view, but it feels while still bold. I mean, while still annoying to me, it it, it feels like a less bold thing to happen, and and I'm not sure how I feel about like. There's a couple of moments where. This ghost, if you want to call it the spirit, whatever it is, goes into like goes into Mario, the Japanese guy, while the guy screwing the guy screwing Oscar's sister, or goes into the kid's head, and then we fade back to third person view again. And I'm not sure how I feel about the the shift in in point of view, and I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. I mean, I thought it was an important distinction. This idea, the 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 friend Alex, when he's talking about the Book of the Dead, talks about how you revisit parts of your life and i think this is that's an important way to show us this is what's happening is he is he is once removed from his memories now that he is dying and he's seen himself in his life it's this idea of the ghost of christmas past bringing um not scrooge who's the guy in uh in the that's scrooge it is scrooge right okay bringing him to see himself are you talking about a minor i'm <laughs> Minor dick, that's very good, Kelly Wan. Uh, so I, I, I appreciated. I thought it was important that he then that his big fat head takes up the middle of the screen. Uh, Dingus used the word annoying, and I, I agree. But I, I think that's crucial that we see that it's him seeing himself, and not us seeing through his eyes only. Uh, right. It's I. It's also like oh, he doesn't remember anything from between childhood when there was a child actor and like his adult life when he was like 20 like there's nothing from when he was 15 or so he was like jesus you're saying the missing years <laughs> right <laughs> see <laughs> that's well, the, had, the dead yes, i had this so. moment you know at, at the very beginning when he goes out on the balcony there's a couple of things that he says that are just so fascinating to me that oscar says uh, when he goes out on the balcony with his sister and Sorry. he points at that plane and he says uh, I, I wonder what tokyo looks like from up there 
um, which is something they should both know, and yet neither of them seem to. And there's there's another moment when he's going up to the drug dealer's uh, apartment, and he's on that that high um, walkway, and he says, "Am I going to jump from up here?" And it just makes me think of is is any of this real? I mean, is is do they die as children, and this is just all part of that? I mean, oh, dingus. <laughs> What is what is his saying? Wonder what Tokyo looks like. I don't know. First of all, Dingus, you know. some people can fly into cities at a different time of day than yeah. they observe an airplane overhead and, and wonder what the city looks like. This is all covered in the Lost finale. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. First, I call it the Book of the Dead. <laughs> and, and second of all, the thing where he's talking about, am, am I going to jump? I mean, I think that's just... You know, everybody's got that little part of their id that at the edge of a precipice thinks I could just jump. Uh, yeah. And it's just that they've been talking about death. And uh, so I, I think but that's not how he says it. That's not how there's he nothing says else it. to do when you're on a precipice. There's nothing else to do except admire the view. Well, I can jump or leave. See, I he th- says I it as if it's already been done. It's really fascinating the way he says it. I, I agree, but I don't think there's any internal evidence to, to show that this is that the, the death hallucination occurred when he was a child. This is his death hallucination. We see him. I, this is a guy who actually gets shot in a toilet because he announces to the police, I have a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I don't, th- I mean, I, 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 I love, I'll bet Gaspar Noe would love Dingus that you're floating such a theory, but I don't <laughs> think there's any internal support for that. Uh, yeah, probably not. But there, you're right. There are some weird striking things that are said. And by the way, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in Irreversible, too. I just want to say. Irreversible, though, right. But Irreversible is a movie that you watch it once. And you're like, oh, OK. And when you watch it a second time, you notice a bunch of weird little things in the dialogue that seem prescient. Um, and, and I think so there's some of that in Enter the Void as well. Uh, I didn't want to see a movie where Monica Bellucci's naked and I couldn't enjoy it. Cause it was, uh, she's actually not. Oh, Oh, you so know what she is. At it's the a end. zero for. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think there is a lot of nudity at the end. Never mind, I forgot about that. But it's happy nudity. Happy can... nudity. Yes, there's All very right. happy nudity. Not sad nudity. Uh, there's right. Right. Um. Wow. Well, now you guys sound like you like it more. Well, I saying. did. I. Now you're using words like fascinating and oh, it was great. Oh, yeah. Fascinating, but like I, I mean, I really. Uh, this, this, that was Dingus's words, and he hated the movie. But I, I would agree with it being fascinating. It's just the stuff that was inside this guy's head that gets unlocked when he dies. It's not like a like a puzzle, like Jacob's Ladder. It's not, to me, the kind of meaningful stuff that the Fountain or Beautiful talks about. Uh, it's certainly not this pat uh, Lifetime Network TV movie that Lovely Bones supposes. Uh, <laughs> instead, it's just a bunch of... And I don't necessarily mean this as a value judgment, as an observation, but it's a bunch of, I think, juvenile trash. You know the stuff. That's that what we, that guy would think, though. I know. I agree. I agree. Uh, and so, like I say, I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. It's an observation. Uh, and I, what about all the guys on Quarter to Three and their dying hallucinations would be the Star Wars prequels? And then you'd have, and then you'd watch a movie about that. They're imagining that they're. I think uh, I, I might. Yeah, I'd I, live I, for I would uh, uh, the Void uh, much more. See, more praise for End of the Void, my second favorite movie behind King's Speech. So I do love too uh, how little I knew up until he got shot. I mean, I mean, I when he got shot, I loved that touch, and I was like, "Wow, okay, movie." You know, yeah, twenty minutes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. twenty minutes in, because I love movies where the main character 
uh, changes or dies, right. you know, like, like Night of the Living Dead or Psycho. Um, brief, brief tangent, I saw a really cool horror movie uh, you can get on Netflix called uh, Salvage, which isn't great, but it starts out with a really cool thing where a dude and his daughter are driving. Uh, I think they're Scottish. And they're driving to drop the daughter off with the mother. And there's some kind of tension between the dude and his wife, you know, the girl's mother. The girl doesn't want to be dropped off. She's like, why well, can't I stay with you, Dad, for the holidays? And he's like, no, just stay with your mom for two days. It, it's, it'll be okay. So they drive to the neighborhood where the mother lives. And the dude says to his daughter, okay, uh, you know, she's supposed to be off work here in a little bit. I'm just going to drop you off here. It's going to be fine. And, you know, these are likable characters. They're good actors. Uh, uh-huh. So the dude drops the daughter off and he drives away. And the daughter uh, waits for her mom to show up, and her mom doesn't show up. And she finally looks around for some keys, and she finds some keys hidden outside. She lets herself in. She's kind of loitering around in the house. She's not sure you know, when her mom's going to get home. And she hears a noise upstairs. So she goes upstairs to see what's going on, and she opens the door and surprises her mother having sex with some other dude in the house there. And she's like, oh, my God, how could you do this to, to my dad? I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And she runs out of the house over to a neighbor's house and the mother runs after her and she won't come out and talk to her mother. And from then on, the movie is about the mother <laughs> and <laughs> and things unfold that, that it's better uh-huh. if you don't know about. But it, it does this great psych out where it introduces two characters and then a third character. And then the movie's about the third character trying to connect with the other two characters like Evil um, Dead. Does Evil Dead isn't Ash throughout Evil Dead? Not in the, well, in the first one, he's like second banana to the blonde guy. Ah, oh, that's right, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so that's I, why I my love... mini synopsis was so bare bones, because, because most of the little synopses online say it's about a drug dealer who dies in Tokyo. And I don't want to know, I don't want, oh, I don't want to know who dies. That I don't want to know that, because it's so great to be there in the, uh, in the John with that guy, and then have him get, he, and he's like, they shot me, I wonder if they killed me. And you know, his little murmurings to himself are just such a joy. And he goes, like, they shot me. Did they kill me? I guess that's yeah. how a synopsis works, is they assume if it happens in the first 20 minutes, yeah. you, you can tell somebody. That is so cheap. It's the only event well, they think was real in the movie. Like everything, all right, dream, dream, dream. Oh, shooting. <laughs> dream, 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 dream. <laughs> but, um, well, that's you know, what it says online. So one of the a couple of the synopses say, and I think even IMDb says it's about a drug dealer who's who dies and and blah blah. I didn't see that. I mean, what else are you going to say about this movie? And that's why I said nothing about it. I mean, uh, I mean, what, one of the things Tom said early on when he was talking about irreversible versus this made me really think because he used the word. Uh, he said something about how that film was was driven by something or other, and um, and irreversible very much feels like a film that's driven and this feels like a film that you're riding along it feels like a passenger film um i think those are very different things and 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 the 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 other thing is that that something tom mentioned is that that thing about self-indulgence and i think that this film is rife with that from the opening credits on mm-hmm. i mean that, that that moment after the sister gets the voicemail uh, which uh that little moment uh while she's having sex or right before she's having sex and she's getting the calls. And then we go over all of the buildings to Alex leaving the voicemail. I liked that. I liked that sort of flying over to there and then flying back. A lot of the other flying over I could do without, but I really like that. Uh, and then she gets the voicemail where Alex says, your brother's been shot at the void. You know, I think he might be killed. And, and what her reaction is just to sit there and cry for five minutes. And, and that is not, that doesn't make any sense for me 
in any way, and that to me is just the director being self-indulgent. Mm, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> I couldn't believe how long this movie was. It totally surprised me because on on Netflix Instant Watch, uh, it I don't know what happened. It, when I was watching it, I got about 40 minutes in, and I thought it was it had like an hour to go, and I was like, oh god, I got another hour of this. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close, dude. I don't know. Yeah. What so, Kelly Wan, we did not get to see the scene where he revives in the morgue. Why don't you oh, that's the scene. Yeah, the guy who hipped me to this movie didn't have that scene either. Right. That was cut for the uh, – was it the was it in the U.S. release, like the theatrical Yeah. Because okay. the, there's some contract he signed said that if it, it was over a certain length, he'd have to produce a shorter one. Right. So I'm so bummed you didn't get to see did, that. That's one yes, of the greatest yeah. scenes. And she, she she's saw, she's having one of her mini breakdowns. She got cast, by the way. It's Paz de la Huerta is the actress's name. She's on Boardwalk Empire, where I guess she's naked a lot too. And he said the auditions. She she he goes. She likes to scream and cry and be naked, so she was easy to cast. <laughs> and then uh, the guy Nathaniel Brown, who played Oscar, was he cast him because I guess the guy is an aspiring director, and he said an actor would be more annoyed at the back of his head being his most prominent way of being shown but a, but a director would think it was cool so that's how he got that guy on what was I talking about? <laughs> so what's the scene, the Gollum scene that you mentioned? Oh okay, so she's having a breakdown in her bedroom and she wishes he was back alive and then he wakes up in the morgue and he sees another body by him and um so the movie's tricking us at this point. Like, we are we yeah. supposed to think at this point that he's come back to life? And then he's like, they they push him out. Yeah, and it's all from his point of view. So this is all happening. Like, you're this is you coming back to life. And then they wheelchair him out to a car, or like a cab. And sister's in the front seat, and Mario is driving, and they both look back at you, aka Oscar, and they're like, oh god. She goes, I, that's not my brother. I can't look at him. Tell him to stop looking at me. And then Mario, like, punches you in the face. Which <laughs> <laughs> is awesome. And then they just Mario, they the just Japanese? Talk. Oh, right, right. The Japanese guy when they go to identify the body at the morgue. Yeah. Right? And you're sitting in the back seat. And I think Alex is next to you. I can't remember. Um, and then there's driving. And then she, you get cremated again. You go into the crematorium. And then she pours your ashes down the sink. So I'm calling it you because it's like you're him. And then right. the next hallucination starts. But it's such a great sequence, and it's like the only time where you go, wait, maybe this, none of it was a dream. So it's like another, like, oh, this can't be a dream. And then, but then Alex convinces you you're dreaming again. And so then that sequence ends too. He's all, dude, this, he goes, you're not, he, he finds him like under an overpass, and there's like graffiti. Is that part in your, the one you saw? Nope. Nope. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, you didn't come back from the dead. You're, you're dreaming. Trust me. That's ridiculous. That couldn't happen. And then you're like, oh, all right. And then you fly away again. You know, it says a lot to me that, that there's this that whole little twist right there. That, that, that sounds like a 10-minute chunk that you can lift out and not miss it at all. And I think that sort of says a lot about how self-indulgent everything after he gets shot really is. Well, that is. point stayed with me. And it was one of the first things that I mentioned to everyone else. Like, did you see that part? And, like, you guys said you hadn't. I don't know. I liked it. I know what you're saying. But it just says, says to me that a lot that so much of the movie is, um, and again, I don't necessarily mean this is criticism or an observation, but so much of the stuff is unnecessary. 
Well, yeah, you could go. Oh, it's about a drug dealer gets shot in a restroom and post that on IMDb, and then and then we get it's about two hours and twenty minutes, right? And two hours of it is his hallucination, none of which happens. Ultimately, all of which is optional. Is that? Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, I don't think it's a hallucination. What is it? Well, none of this really happens, obviously, Dingus. None of the stuff he's imagining. Does it? Because, for instance, because so much of it is contradictory. You know, he's imagining. Uh, that uh, his sister and Alex were killed in a car wreck, and then he's imagining that they lovingly have sex in the love hotel, and he is conceived, I guess, reconceived as, as a new baby. You know, right. which of those two things is, is real? Neither. Correct? I dis- what do you think? I no. think we have to make decisions, because I think he's... So you don't think that he's literally watching his sister have sex with Mario? No. No. That's just I, a hallucination. I, I, I think the whole thing is a hallucination, is a, a Jacob's Ladder style fake out. Well, I think the point is that the film tells you after you die, you fly. And that's Gaspar Noe's, his, that's his philosophy, that that when you die, you're flying around watching the people you love do these things and you can't, you have no so, control over it. So you think it's no. more of a Lovely Bones type scenario where the I don't, I, I didn't see back. Lovely Bones. Well, no, no, but you know the story of Lovely Bones, don't you? It's it's the girl gets murdered and she sees things that are happening. It's Sunset I, Boulevard, man. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, though, everything is before. Does he see stuff after he's died? Well, yeah, he's but he's remembering it as a ghost. And but, a but mirror. Lovely Bones but Dingus. But what I'm saying, hold so so the, the, the afterlife perspective in Lovely Bones is that you look down on the world and you see the stuff that's happening and that, that it's actually happening and you're seeing it and you're aware well, of it. Well Gaspar Noe has contradicts what Dingus came away right, with. Right, right. But Gasper, that is a, but that you know what, you don't that's irrelevant. You don't have to have heard him say that. You don't have to have heard him say it's about a guy who happened to be stoned when he died. You can do what Dingus said. It's perfectly legitimate. See, I, I think we read into it. But but there's so many contradictions and, and even from the title. The title, Enter the Void, I think is very much about entering the void of death. I mean, it's, it, I think the title itself is your first clue that this guy is going into a void of nothingness. And the, these are his last contradictory... The shimmering vacuity of the human experience. <laughs> well, and it's all this weird Freudian stuff about tunnels and having sex with your mother. Right. <laughs> all of, it, none of this obviously happened. Uh, it's, it's all his, his subconscious... What's your thing about mammals? Like it's mammal mammalian subconscious. The sentimentality of mammals and the sentimentality, feelings, inferences, exactly bubbling up. Uh, and I don't think any of this is supposed to be uh, at any level an actual statement, metaphysical statement about what happens when you die. A guy who says phrases like the sentimentality of mammals. That this isn't his uh, that Robin Williams movie where. <laughs> No, no. What's somewhere he goes to heaven and he steps on all the faces in hell because his wife killed herself. Blah blah blah. And then the wait, the stewardess, the Asian what stewardess. What dreams may come? Daughter. Yeah, what dreams may come? Oh, I haven't seen it, but uh, <laughs> okay. Did it make it sound enticing? Was that one of the three movies you were going to uh, invoke? You, you lost me at Robin Williams. Uh, <laughs> so then, this thing? film just became the entire last sequence of 2001 for me. Exactly, exactly, and and, right. and, and now I I hate it even more. So thank yep. you. I well, that. yeah. and it's no surprise to me that you guys revealed that 2001 <laughs> is this guy's favorite direct uh, movie because I wrote down at the end is that all that neuron n- neon neuron bullshit drug stuff at the beginning drove me up the fucking wall and now the whole movie's <laughs> there. However, awesome. the, I love there, that. it's meaningless. It's just a meaningless, and I guess that's the point since it's called Enter the Void. Well, yes, but <laughs> oh, fuck. Just I just, 
I just made Dink just hate the movie. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. that's good. Thank you. I quit. Now, <laughs> at this point, if we were on a radio show, you'd hear my mic hit the ground and I'd be walking out of the studio. <laughs> well, I, and, but I think that's it. Like, uh, 2001 really happened, though. It wasn't a dying hallucination. He did. <laughs> Shut up, all that of was a, He went into another universe. That was real. Uh, I'm going to go watch Jurassic Park now. <laughs> See, I mean, I think this is just that's how Gaspar Noe functions is he's he's going to and so much of this stuff is like in your face and unnecessary and intentionally provocative for no other reason. You know, the giant penis uh, scene, right. like that kind of stuff. I know. But, you know, see, I, I watch that, see that stuff and I get the impression that if Gaspar Noe could, he would hook up the theater with little sprinklers that would spray the audience with breast with, milk. Yeah, he's like guar. <laughs> No, um, spray them with with uh, sperm. I wasn't yeah, going to say that, but I'm sure he would like I, to get that. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, and, and so I, I, I certainly. Spoon the yeah. tapes. But, uh, but I mean, what are you comparing it to? You'd rather watch Sanctum than this movie? Come on. No, well, I would. Take, watch, I would rather watch this movie many times over than Sanctum. But that doesn't make me any more any less angry about the fact that I watched now what turns out to be a hallucination. Uh, well, but which, is, which is ridiculous, you know. Philosophically, my my stand, what I just said, is ridiculous because any film you watch is essentially a hallucination. I mean, right. none of it's real, uh, but the idea is that we're pretending it's real and we're going along with this. And what Gaspar Noé is doing is saying, you know, fuck you. It's none of nothing is real. Well, what about the fountain, which we all like, and at least a third of the fountain is a hallucination or an imaginary world. I'd say at least two thirds of the fountain. Uh, I think the future's real. We've gotten into this. Uh, well, I think see, the future is both real and the book. I think it's all though, going me, on at the same time, and I think the fountain has. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, I, we, I think we all agree the fountain is a far better movie. But but let me defend this a little bit. When I say it's all unnecessary and didn't happen, I don't think that necessarily. Again, I don't want that to sound like a no criticism because, because right. you know that to me, like when you dream, you. Uh, just just images bubble up from your subconscious. And I can imagine that, that death is probably similar, regardless of what you feel about the after, afterlife. You know, whatever your philosophy is or your opinion or your religious perspective on that point, I mean, there's, there's similarities between dreaming and death. And I think that's what this movie, it's a, it's a two-hour masturbatory exercise in that <laughs> similarity. And it's real in that this is really what Oscar is imagining. These are the things in his head. And it does a chillingly effective job of showing us, and this kind of is a little bit of the mystery aspect that's in Irreversible, of showing us why Oscar feels the way he does about his sister. Um, uh-huh. You know, what has come before. I mean, there, there are a lot of clues as to who this person is. Even though I mentioned before, I found his perspective kind of facile and juvenile, and, and there's a lot of trash there. There's some really poignant, powerful stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that you know his memories of you know being with his sister and being taken away from her and like all of that stuff I think has some value above and beyond just the and the real memories the memories are right. true exactly uh, well and, and I, I, I want, the word true there you have to examine I did and I said it <laughs> all right good <laughs> say it again. Whether memories are true or not, I mean, memories are, are shaped over time. And, and so when she's being taken away and dragged to the elevator, Oscar is having no affect whatsoever. And that's, that's very it's much not. like watching. It's, it's a very odd and wonderful scene, but it doesn't ha- I don't know what it has to do with truth. I believe that one. Okay. Well, truth in that, that this, was, this, 
true yeah. in that this is this is part of it's revealing to us why he feels the way he does about his sister. Okay. Uh, so insight maybe it's insightful. And and so Dingus, I want to ask you specifically because I thought of you while watching these parts. There's a lot of uh, I say a lot. There are a couple of Sex. really graphic instances of traumatized children. Uh, mm. Like that little girl, you know, putting blood on her and having her cry and stuff, uh, which I certainly found difficult to watch, but I thought was important to the story. Did did the movie lose you at any point with some of that, Dingus? Um, your, on, your whole thing about, uh, you've said before, that you feel that children in peril is sort of a cheap, easy trope that movies resort to. Well, well, th- well there's a difference between when a, when a screenwriter uses a kid in peril as a shortcut, and, and that, that's, that's a different issue. Uh, when, when a child actor is, is in a moment where it's just this exigent circumstance... That that's that's sort of a dividing. That's a different issue for me. Like I I talked about. I think I talked about Kickass as as far as this is concerned. Maybe, um, but but there's a couple of those. We're we're treated to the scene of the the aftermath of the car wreck. I don't know, 17 or 18 times. I can't. I lost count. <laughs> 24. Uh, but when we get to the point where the little girl is arching her back, covered in blood, screaming over and over again, uh, that is the moment where I left the film. Yeah, that's a, okay. the, the the moments where we're, we're sort of over the back of the kids, and 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 we just had the accident, and and they're they're screaming. I, I was I was with you. Okay, this is weird. I, I saw it coming. I mean, obviously, they're driving in a tunnel. They're going to run into somebody. Uh, it, it wasn't a surprise. But but when we get back to that scene for the umpteenth time, and she's just in agony that little girl that it's hard it's really hard for me to watch i think she was cg would that make you feel better it would be because so that's not an actual moment of uh that's not an that's that's a faked physical bit <laughs> mm. uh you know what movie i think sums up my vision of the afterlife flatliners one, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Did you skip back? That was kind of an earnest, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I was kidding. Ernest scared stupid. Also, the afterlife. That's uh, not dirty. Uh, I know, what? I thought you were going to come up with something else. It doesn't, isn't the well, I didn't know you were going to... I didn't. That wasn't... <laughs> If I'd known that was coming, I would have. Flatliners Vision of the Afterlife. Good. Isn't that one of the Baldwin brothers taping yeah. and having sex? That's Billy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been on. Yeah. That's kind of the one I was thinking of when I said that. You weren't supposed to think of the Kevin Bacon scene with the jump rope. Uh, let's do it three by three. Yeah, shut up, Kelly. <laughs> Fuck you and your Flatliners <laughs> bullshit. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> I will Ooh. say that uh, Gaspar Noe is no Joel Schumacher. Mm. Wow. <laughs> ah, I can't wait good... for Gaspar Noe's Batman sequence. <laughs> uh, let's do a three by three. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. These I are such a hard time with this one. Damn. Did you really? Yeah, I really re- tried to restrict myself. and it was Who's, tough. Whose topic was this? I can't this is remember. Mine. This is mine. You can do crazy things with this. I'll be curious what you guys come up with. What I'm looking for are three physical bits from actors that aren't faked. Oh, from actors. Now, because we... we, uh, we had so seen Jar Jar's um, spit thing. 
we had seen Sanctum, and there's this bit where Richard Roxburgh is doing this cool braiding of mountain climber rope. Uh, and that struck me as, wow, you know, that's a physical choice he made. He actually looks like he knows what he's doing. That tells us that he, he's a competent survivalist, mountain climber, whatever. So I, I was curious to hear other things like that that you guys have noticed in movies. Uh, and this isn't necessarily a big grandiose thing like Christian Bale losing a bunch of weight for the machinist or uh, Natalie Portman training to be a ballet dancer for Black Swan. These are more just smaller physical bits. So you can do with this as you will. Uh, I've got a bunch that I sort of rejected, and uh, I think two of mine <laughs> might cause a furor. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Furor. Wow. That's going to be excellent. I didn't know we were German. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Get the uh, yolk. So, Kelly Wand, you're introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so why don't you start us out? What is your third favorite physical bit from an actor that, that isn't faked? Oh, and by the way, and so by not faked, it's something that can't be tricked in the editing. Like, you can't have somebody do a magic trick with... Well, what if it can be, but it wasn't? That's fine. That's fine. I, I just want stuff that's not faked. Uh, like, for instance, we know uh, Like, that Meg Ryan's orgasms were faked in... Uh, we know that, that Lance Henriksen didn't really do the gag with the knife in Aliens. You know, they just... Okay. Up the, right. And he wasn't torn in half. That was faked. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, what is your number three? Uh, I almost had the basketball shot in Alien Resurrection. Okay, don't do almost. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, is that not your pick, Kelly Wand? <laughs> right, because I thought... Don't, don't, then we'll do runners-up afterwards, so we just want to know the ones that you actually picked. And then Savior, uh, we'll, as usual, we'll talk about runners-up afterwards, because I have a bunch I want to mention. So, so um, if that's not your number three, what is your number three? Well, I picked a better basketball shot, which is Snake Plissken's last basketball shot in Escape from L.A. from full court, which he really did. Yeah, I don't even None remember. None of those that. shots were faked. You don't remember the basketball scene? I've blocked most of I unfortunately have blocked that all of That movie's kind of hard to remember, isn't it? It just sort of... It's like a hallucination from End of the Void, <laughs> Escape from L.A. It's like John Carpenter's dying hallucination... Like his his dying brain unable to remember Escape from New York correctly. That's what Escape from LA is like. Except for the basketball shots, which were great. Okay. Do you want to tell us about the basketball shot? Uh, he does a sky hook from across the court. I mean, I guess he did. He did. He, did, he had more time than he's given in the movie. <laughs> but it's like a real shot. And uh, I don't know. I couldn't do it. So it's my number three. Things I couldn't do. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your number three physical bit from an actor that was not faked? Because the shaggy DA just walks around and talks, even though he's a dog. But I could do that. So fuck that guy. Fuck Dean Jones. Okay. Yes, Dingus? <laughs> I mean, not at the same time. I could walk and or... But. Is this the Shaggy DA? Is that who's that a rebuttal to? Digby. <laughs> because the Shaggy DA, it's like you're rebutting us as if we had objected to the basketball shot, and your rebuttal is Shaggy DA. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I just wanted to double check. That's awesome. It's a preemptive rebuttal, Dingus, for whatever you're going to bring up for your number three. <laughs> I strenuously object then. 
All right, my number three. Give um, us a line. Give us a line. All right, here you go. Mm-hmm. You stare at me like snake at a rabbit. Oh, Colin Farrell? Absolutely. The movie? Um, I brought this up a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's just a little simple. I, 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 I'm a sucker for little bits of uh, business that are clearly the actor has learned a little skill and works it into a, a scene. Sometimes it's just a vanity thing. And in this case, it's really clearly useful to the character. I'm, so, I'm sorry, the film is The Way Back. We did it a few weeks ago. Uh, and it's a Peter Weir film from last year. In fact, all of my films are 2010 films. Um, mm. This is uh, Colin Farrell as this, uh, this, this Russian criminal named Valka. And he just does this little thing with his knife. He's the, he's the guy they bring along uh, because he has a knife. And, uh, and he does this little thing where he just tosses the knife in his hand. And I just like that. He just does this little thing. And at first I was like, oh, look, Colin learned a new trick. And in fact, I even <laughs> made fun of it during our podcast. Uh, but it's, it's a, a little shorthand for us as the audience and those guys he's with. This guy knows what he's doing with a knife. Don't F with him. And uh, he did it a couple of times, and it's just this little thing that the actor does, where he just picks up his knife and he tosses it in his hand. Now, when you say tosses, I think it's describe it because I don't remember. I don't remember this at all. I mean, I remember his knife because that was it featured very prominently, and at one point, you know, like he's I think he offers it to someone, but it's a big deal to him. What describe for us what the actual trick is? Whenever he brings it out, it's it's almost like a little tick. He brings it out, and he just does a little. You know, a thing where if you can imagine having a knife in your hand and then just flipping it over so that you've got the, the haft of the knife and you flip it over and you catch it again by the by the handle. If you can imagine just standing there with the handle, okay. a, a knife, and just tossing it. And he just does this quick little thing whenever he pulls the knife where he just does a little rotation of it. He just Kelly flips Wand, it in the air and that? grabs it. Well, not with a knife, but a dick. <laughs> not your own. No, well, you know, I, I, um, uh, mine curves. And it just brought to mind uh, a couple of moments for me when I was as an actor, like um, like in I was in West Side Story when I was a, when I was in college, and and we did this whole thing where where somebody had to throw me a knife, and we practiced this over and over and over again, catching a knife during a knife fight, and and there that's a thing that you you learn how to do. It's one of these little tricks you learn how to do. I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna test the weight of this object, and I'm gonna learn how to use it so that it's clear that I have used this thing over and over and over and over and over again, like Kelly does with dicks, and and I know how to use it, and I am proficient. And everybody in the audience knows this, and all of these dudes around me respect me because I am clearly proficient with this. And I just like that little tiny moment where he just flips the knife, and he does it a couple of times. The thing is, when in West Side Story does Maria have to throw a knife? Uh, uh-huh. She throws it during the uh, the scene with the uh, – it's the Mario scene. When don't even try, Dingus. Don't even try. Mario I pwned you, and you know it. That's the you second did. Time you totally pwned me, but That's I played right. Anita, so nice try. <laughs> Uh, typecasting. All right, my number three. You guys ready for a line? I am. These aren't the line that is. uh, What? What did you say? Oh, Obi Wan Kenobi gesturing. I love his little. So I'm not. I love Star Wars is fine, whatever. But I just love Alec Guinness's little physical weird thing with his hand when he's doing Jedi mind trick stuff. What? Yes. What? Yes. Is this really physical happy? business is a gesture? But that's the thing. And from it's, a Star Wars movie? Check, please. 
There's this whole idea that he's got these powerful mystical abilities, and without doing any special effects hoo-ha or whatever, Alec Guinness just does this weird little physical bit with his hand, and that sells for us this idea. And also, we've been we've been told about the mythology of the Force, whatever, and what he can do, and he's an old wizard and all that. But it just sells this idea that he's got some special magical power. And I love that. I love how subtle it is. And I just oh, love God how it... Damn it. I spent so much more time thinking about this than I should have. Damn fool, Chrisid! What is he not thinking exactly? He's just, that's the thing. I'm so thinking. pissed no, now. God no. damn it. I'm so mad. <laughs> What is he wow. not He's thinking force! <laughs> There's no special effects or anything. He just oh. does this weird little okay sign, waving his other three fingers. Uh, it's a physical bit. How is that faked? It's a physical he didn't, bit. He didn't fake waving his hand. That's why. <laughs> it's something that... So here's... Yeah, that's talking. why Han Solo walks from one side of the room to the other. He didn't fake that. That was amazing. This is like well, so swagger. Actually, you know what? See Step. Perfect example. Perfect example. When we CG meet Han, when when Han Solo is talking to Greedo, his physical bit, he does this stupid thing where he reaches back and he's like picking at the stucco on the wall. Huh? That's stupid. Why? Because it's that. lame. It's like what actor trick one hundred and one. But but Alec Guinness's weird little hand gesture. I love that physical bit. I'm convinced he came up with it. It's far too subtle for anything George Lucas could have thought of. And I just love that little that little that's what we need to see to to show Obi Wan's power right Obi-Wan, there. Obi Wan Obi Wan your own choice. Listen to you. Yeah, he's trolling. I am um, not. I really like that. I like it too, but this wasn't top three gestures. Uh, yeah. I you're fired. You're so fired. I, I I told you two of mine are gonna cause a furor. That's the first Is this one, one of them or was this the yeah. safe one? No, oh. this is the one that's gonna cause a furor. My number two is the yeah. safe one. Obi-Wan didn't have that uh, superpower in the prequels. He never uses the voice, the Bane gesture voice, and he never does that gesture, the, um, Ewan McGregor. He oh, never does that. As far as I'm concerned, the prequels can... So that's a, that's a point in your favor that, like, there you go. Alec Guinness was more thoughtful about it than <laughs> George Lucas. <laughs> but wait, yeah, why didn't they ever use that? Like, why didn't he make Dexter Jester, or whatever his name is, like, make him... Ah, never mind. Yeah, you, you would think Suck that would be part of, uh, part of something that, that Ewan McGregor would have okay. done. That's officially the stupidest <laughs> choice you've ever done. <laughs> for Come on, that's I like that. Than anything I've done is a joke. That's what, you, what you've just done is a travesty. Wait a minute. Do you guys not like that physical bit? Tell me I right love now. it. It's not a hey. physical bit. It's a gesture. That's the physical bit you were talking about when you introduced this category. How is a gesture not a physical bit? It's just uh, as physical a bit as... What's the name of this topic again? It's, what's just, the name? it's just as physical a bit as just. Richard Roxburgh tying rope in a braid while he's talking to someone. He's just... It's just, a, it's just jumping but in But see, act. the difference is that guy knew what he was doing and he learned... How to do ropes well enough to practice it. And the it. same with Alec Guinness <laughs> doing Anybody Jedi. Have that's, Any how it, that's, yeah. how, that's Alec Guinness's take on a Jedi mind trick. That's how he thinks it would work. I love but that. To, but it could have been faked. A, he was faking it. He didn't. Well, you're really. right. There is no. You, you are right, Kelly Wan. There's no such thing as a Jedi mind trick. So in that regard, it was fake. You have a good point. But however, <laughs> that's the criteria. It's non-faked physical. By the things. way, by the way, Tom's if you guys want to see do a Jedi mind trick to us right now, but we can't see his hands, so it's not. <laughs> 
I just want to say I've got for two of mine, there are YouTube videos and the YouTube video for this, which I, I looked up because I don't own a copy of Star Wars. It's all oh, the freaking oh, it's all the freaking remastered version. Yeah. With all this like digital stuff, like big old sand wampers or whatever, I walking around in the foreground. All there's plenty of faked stuff in that scene, but Alec Guinness's hand gesture not faked. It's the one that's why it stuck out to you. It's like, oh wait, it's the one thing in the movie that's not CG is his hand. So I'm sure if George Lucas had his druthers. Hey, what about what about when he's on the doing the tractor or the reactor terminal and he does another hand gesture and it makes like a noise and it makes the stormtroopers go hey the noise let's go check that out um that didn't make as big an impression on me <laughs> like, that's how he that's just a ventriloquist thing and that was faked in the right. sound no i know he, he makes a hand gesture it makes a noise down a hallway tom he did, he did that like you did it with his glottis it was swahili <laughs> yeah he threw his voice with his hand He's physically through his voice. All right, that's enough Star Wars talk for one podcast. Let's go on to Kelly Wan's um, number two. Let's not. I want to hear what you said. There were sand wampers. Well, sand I don't wampers. know. Whatever these, there's like big. They put big old dragons back home. T sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the word sand wampers. Thank you. Huh. I'm sure that's Tom pretending he doesn't know the lingo. <laughs> Steve Bauman. Uh, laid into me one time when I turned in an article because I had only spelled Wookiee with one E. And he's like, oh! No! Are you crazy? <laughs> I once sent Dingus an was email the- with Tauntaun misspelled, and then the very next email I sent him was, uh-huh. I bet you're going to correct the spelling. And in the time it sent me to send him that, haha, I bet you're going to correct the spelling, he had sent me a reply correcting the spelling of Tauntaun. What? How did you spell it? How did you misspell it? T-O-N-T-O-N. That's the way I think Alexis would spell it. And Dingus totally felt. I mean, that's Dingus is your man if you need to like if you need to know how to, to spell Wookiee. So you pawned him because you knew he would do it. You return to the kingdom. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, none of that is true. None of that is true. <laughs> and and put putting the uh, guy inside of the Tauntaun. That was my number two, by the way. <laughs> that's faked. Yeah. You can't it's you can't fake taunt. that. That's real. I, I thought what is your get us out on the outside. <laughs> Kelly Wan, get us out of the Star Wars talk. What is your number two example of a physical bit from an actor that is uh, not fake? Number two is the Tuscan Raider uh, waving a gaffy stick over his head. Wait, did, gaffy- you just know, did you just say you knew it was called a gaffy stick? <laughs> gaffy! Gator fee? Gaffy is the short acronym for it. Oh. I noticed that he doesn't use either stick on Luke either to kill him. But anyway, that's not my real number two. My number two is, um, see, there's not much to say about any of these. You just go, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, what? Colin Farrell? Oh, okay. Yeah. We just talked for 20 minutes about Obi-Wan's hand gesture. I think there's... Yeah, but only because that was so retarded. We had to, like, <laughs> paint over it with fucking primer for nine hours. All right. Um, my number two, I saw this really awesome John Cazale documentary, and it showed, it reminded me of how awesome... When he fumbles the gun in uh, Godfather is when Marlon Brando gets shot. And so John Cazal is trying to get each for his pistol and he's like fumbling it and like juggling it and trying to catch it. But he looks like a little kid trying to catch something and he can't catch. It's fucking great. That's my number two. John Cazale fumbling the gun. Let's move on. Why does he have a gun? Because he's supposed to be a hitman, but he's Fredo. 
And what's and no the scene one, again? Because I like that. I like because I can now I have a mental picture, but I don't remember. They asked like every people on the street if they knew who John Cazale was, and they go, "No, Fredo." Like they didn't know his name. It's kind of depressing. Like he made five movies, and they were all nominated for best picture, and no one knows his name now. We Fucking know, annoying. We know. Is that good enough? <laughs> uh, it's the scene where Marlon Brando is getting oranges in Godfather, and. Mm. The car pulls up, and there's they start to shoot, and there's a shot of... It's like you get a perfect shot of Fredo, and he's trying to get his gun out to save his dad, and then he fumbles it and drops it, and then they drive away, and he's just, like, cradling his dad, crying like a little boy. The uh, end. Convincing fumbling is tough. That's, that's tough to yeah. yeah, it's a great shot. It's someone fucking up expertly. It's like brilliant acting at... Oh, you know what, though? I kind of wish I'd picked Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, save it for the... Save it for the... Uh, uh, stuff. We've got plenty like that. Because that, that's... Uh, so I, I watched another crappy horror movie with James LeGros as a, as a chef who uh, takes prisoner a guy who's been critical of him and tortures him. And in one scene, he's supposed to tip over a bowl of eggs that he's cracked. Uh, and I'm watching it, and it's, you know, it's, it's tough to get good fumbling captured because he obviously swings his hand and he knocks it over and i'm like that's fake you know that faked didn't work for me uh so that's good kelly wand i like it an example of john casali effectively fumbling a pistol thumbs up it's so it's like so revealing of the, about the character yes and the thing they kept emphasizing about his acting style and like what separated him from other actors was like when other actors play a weak character, they do it in this way. Like I'm not really this weak. I'm just pretending to be, but like he just wrapped himself in Fredo. Like he, there was no ego to it. It was like, he was just became the dude. But if Paul Walker had been Fredo, Tom <laughs> still <laughs> the end. All right, so. Dingus, what is your number two favorite physical bit from an actor that was not faked? Um, Give us a line. I'm still hung up on Kelly's because because uh, there was something that I... Uh, Which one? No, yeah, never I mind. Like I, Tom's anymore, Jesus. No, I, it's, you know, Tom me. had a couple of things he said when he introduced it about it being an impressive thing, but not an epic thing. Yeah. But and he, so he I, turned into. Look what so he I, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, obviously now all of that is <laughs> null and void. And but but yeah, when we, I was thinking about it, I was thinking because there's a couple of things where where they leave in things that are clearly mistakes and right. that are endearing, and um and that's that's something I'm I'm going to use I think later later on for a different topic. Um, but uh, anyway, so but uh, but I but now that you talk now that you describe the the moment, Kelly Wan, I, I completely remember it when he's trying to protect his dad, and you know, yeah, it's a great moment. It's brilliant acting, brilliant physical acting. And I wonder how many takes they had to do of it, because it's so perfectly fumbled. Because, and, his, and it's like, it's like if you're a smart person trying to play dumb, and that's really hard to do. Very hard to do. And uh, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of great shit in movies was accidental. And they, like the third man ending where he does the cigarette, like that was an accident. They went, oh, that's no, a perfect ending. So they left it in. All those Harrison Ford voiceovers for Blade Runner, those were all accidents. Yeah, yeah, he was just hanging around talking on the set, and they accidentally recorded him. I predict that's Tom's number one, by the way, physical bit, is Harrison Ford reading dialogue. <laughs> it does require his voice. 
can't yeah. fake that. Yeah, that's true. That is a part of your body. It is CG. Yeah, it's true. But now we're on Dingus, and it's number two, which yep. I'm very excited about. What do you got for us, Dingus? All right, number two. Let me give you guys a quote. Let me do this. Your makings are too dry. I think that's faked because I almost, I had that on my list, but I didn't. I, did do you actually see her do it, or do you just see yeah. the end result? Yeah, yeah you, you see, see her, her do it. You see her. Thing, I don't think yeah, she did the whole thing. You, she talks about learning to do it. She I know, but I, I think it's fake. I don't think Hattie Steinfeld can actually roll a cigarette. Oh. I believe that she can. Uh, and it, actually, there were there were a number of choices that I had for um, for rolling cigarettes by actors, and I went with this one because it was one of my favorite little bits from last year. Yeah, you're gonna and have I, to go with John Travolta in Pulp Fiction if you want. I'm not I'm not gonna go with that because I don't care about that. The way <laughs> I care about this, especially with the way that this is so much a part of what I love about this character and what it says about the film and her taking control. And how that character and how that actress takes control of the film, and this this little moment of uh, let me do that, let me let me just do this because you're you're far too shaky hand to to do it properly. You don't know what you're doing, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's my number two, the the uh, Haley Joel Osment. Wait, no, okay. <laughs> how dare you? How dare um, you? Haley Haley yeah. Steinfeld rolling a cigarette in uh, Coen Brothers True Grit from 2010. That's also uh, another ability that she loses when she loses her arm. Don't! I bet she could still do it. I bet you. Uh, but I see, Dingus, I because I, I so remembered that it, it it was cut around actually seeing her do it. Like you see her start it, but I I don't know. Yeah, are you? What's yours? Are you, what's how sure are you that wasn't fake, Dingus? Like what's your source? Because I love that pick, Dingus, and I wanted to pick that one, but I couldn't remember for sure if if they did an inset shot of someone else's hands and then cut to her with the... How sure is he that this is legitimate? Because the whole point is it can't be faked, so... My source is her talking about it and in interviews being asked, did you actually have to learn to do that? And she said, of course. I mean, you know, as a 13-year-old, you don't know how to do these things, and I learned how to do that, and I learned how to deal with a rifle, and these were things I had to learn how to do as as skills. And so uh, so that's where I went with... She wouldn't right, lie. I still, I, I still think though that they that they cheated a little bit in the movie. I mean, I love this pick dingus because it was really weed, not tobacco. That's how they cheated. <laughs> uh, I can see now that you're talking, Tom. I can see sort of in my head the idea of her licking the piece of paper, and then we see her lap and putting the 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 um the makings into the papers. And there's not a long shot of her doing it. So you're right. But it is a great one, though. It's a physical bit, and she obviously tried it, and I'd, I'd give her the benefit of the doubt. But but you know what? I wished we'd seen more of it. Like, I wish the Coen brothers had held on that as long as they held on the guy in the bear suit, for instance. <laughs> well, she does it at least two times, doesn't she? Right. Yeah. And I don't have a mental image of the second time. Now, Just one thing we time. don't see in the movie, by the way, and I think it's worth pointing out, Matt Damon packing a pipe. <laughs> as they say. That's really hard to do, trust me. <laughs> There's a lot of busy Real. work that goes with a pipe. It's very skilled labor. Oh, God. And a bong. Oh. It's awesome showing him smoking an hour. pipe. But we don't mm-hmm. see him doing the, the Christopher Waltz, Christoph Waltz business that, that goes with a, a real pipe smoker. I just want right. to say. Right. Matt Damon should have trained a little harder. True good is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Matt Damon. All just right, my number two. Movie. I'll give you guys a line. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Take a look at what they're called. It's rather appropriate, don't you think? <laughs> you Shrek Forever see. After. Uh, <laughs> <Very good. laughs> where he takes a shit. Do you Which recognize wasn't that fit. line, Dingus? 
It's Boyer, I think. <laughs> I love Andrew Garfield's uh, dance number in in Boyer. There's this is actually up on YouTube, but it's a it's tough to understand without seeing it in context. Uh, he is such a a repressed, buttoned up, nervous, uncomfortable character. And at one point in the movie, he takes ecstasy, and there's a maybe you know thirty second shot of him dancing. Uh, which is just an amazing bit of physical acting, I think, about his character, about the sort of the tension, the energy, the the frustration in this character. You know, this is what he thinks dancing is. Uh, this is what the drug sort of unlocks in, in his body. Uh, so this is my non-Fuhrer-causing pick, mm. <laughs> Andrew Garfield's dancing in Boy A. Hmm. That's a good choice. Movies. I had a... Go ahead. What, what movies don't you see? Where there are boys or I don't or see A's? movies where characters just aren't even named, but they have names like Boy A, sort of like Cliff. You were going to say <laughs> You were going to cut me off. I was just the, saying that there were a couple of dance uh, dance sequences. I almost chose. Um, this was not one of them. I forgot about this. this is a good yeah, Tom's giving us a dance. No dancing sequence. Well, the thing is, are... the thing is, it's not a dance sequence so much as a physical expression of this guy with the his normal repression removed by taking E. It's not right. like where he, it's not like Napoleon Dynamite, you know, where where Jared Hess wait, is that the actor? Or the director? Played, it's oh, Herm, uh, Herman, I think. No, who played uh who played the who played Napoleon Dynamite? What's that kid's name? The director's Jared uh, Hess. Dan Hader. You guys Hader. Uh, anyway, it's not like where where somebody really figured out a whole dance number. It was just a very physical expression of acting. Uh, John Hader, thank you. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Uh, uh, Andrew Garfield in Boyer, it's not like he learned a dance number. It's, it's something. It's like an acting choice he made, uh, and I think it's a great physical bit. So there's my number two. Dance numbers should be a separate category, and you have a habit of ruining your own topics, and this is yet more proof of it. <laughs> well, well okay. he certainly didn't fake that. He was not fake dance. No. Oh, I thought you meant Tom. Is faking this topic. <laughs> no. I'm about Andrew Garfield. I love that movie. I was such a, you know, I was looking through so many lists when I was. I, this is a really hard topic for me, and uh, and I just stumbled across uh, for that year. Um, the the love scene in that film was one of my favorite little miscellaneous things from that year. That love scene is just so beautiful and great. Uh, but I totally forgot the dance thing. So I think that's a good choice. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your number one? What is the best physical bit that hasn't been faked that's performed by an actor for you? I'm changing mine right. from what it was <laughs> to Vince Vaughn fumbling the money envelope and made. That I is beautiful, can't. isn't it? <laughs> now, I'm convinced that that money was like spring-loaded to pop out like that. Did I've never seen that anything that awesome in another movie. I can't think of anything better than that one thing he does. It's uh, brilliant. A, a one that's that's almost as good occurs slightly beforehand, and it's his bit with the tape, <laughs> like with the scotch <laughs> tape. I love that bit, but then the the money exploding out of the envelope. Yeah, and he does it in the same shot that John Favreau opens his like normally. <laughs> so they both had to do it in the same shot. Maybe I'm misremembering it. Oh, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Vince I Vaughn's actually just watched it because I wanted to look at the tape bit, and it is fantastic the way that that money goes everywhere. Yeah. was How many takes was that? Did they talk about that? Is there there's a a, one of the great things on the made DVD is uh, all of the, the outtakes from that scene uh -huh. where 
John Favreau is really getting frustrated with Vince Vaughn, and, and Peter Falk even seems, you know, the, the camera is, it's a two-shot of them sitting there, but Peter Falk is behind the camera delivering the lines, and you can tell John Favreau is really getting put out with Vince Vaughn. Because uh, yeah. Vince Vaughn is, like, screwing up takes, he's giggling, he's doing improv stuff, but it's it's just great insight. He's living the character, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you, on, on Dinner for Five or Four, or whatever it's called, they were <laughs> Peter Falk was, like, telling Vince Vaughn, oh, you're such a hog. Uh, working with you was so hellish. And then, uh, I don't know. But that helped the character. Oh, it did. It did. And it made for a great scene. And, and even watching some of those outtakes have some great bits in them. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I was kind of disappointed at when I went back and watched that scene. Is I was like, is I remember, there were all these great lines that I remembered from that scene, but they're in the outtakes. You know, that scene yeah. is actually fairly short. Uh, but I noticed that he never they never worked together again after that. Did they? Vince Vaughn and John Favreau? Yeah. Wasn't that their last movie together? Oh, what was the last one? Oh, name one. Name uh, one after that. Iron Man. Does Vince oh. Vaughn not have a cameo in Iron Man? No, he doesn't. Does he hate him now? Did they did they break up over Maid? I don't know. That, no, I can't imagine they did, because the end result is a, brilliant. Director, I think, is proud of that movie. Well, Bill Murray and uh, Harold Ramis broke up over Groundhog Day, and that was a great movie. Oh, they did? Well, because Bill Murray was his marriage was going down, he was being kind of a pill, and he was annoyed all the time. I don't know. They had issues. I also read somewhere that that they kept Matt Damon from showing up on the Saving Private Ryan set till the end, so that all the other actors would resent him like the characters did. <laughs> God, whatever. God, Matt Damon. <laughs> Uh, anyway. That's a good one, Kelly Wan. That's a that's a great. So you've got two fumbles on yours. One yeah. act of of athletic prowess and two fumbles. I, I'm a fan of those. I consider it great acting, both of those. And when you see, okay, I'll tell you in the runners up what I had for number one, and then you'll see. Because what is your actual number one? Not your runner up, but what is your favorite physical bit by an actor that was not faked? Uh, all right. Um, hmm. Maybe you can give us a line. I think I can. Sod him. He'll bugger off soon enough. It sounds like Colin Farrell from the way back. I can't really tell what you're doing. It's not. It's with Nail and I? <laughs> no. Wait. Social um, Network. I don't think that's it. Social Network when someone throws up or something. That's all fake. That's all digital vomit. Meaning of life. It's another film from last year. It's a film called Another Year uh, that was directed by Mike Lee. And the moment is, it's a, just a tiny little moment, and it was one of those little moments that made me fall in love with the film. And it's when Tom, not Tom Chick, but uh, Jim Broadbent, is folding his brother's shirts. And he's folding his brother's clothes. Um, he's, he and his wife have offered to have his brother, his bereaved brother, come and live with them. And the actor is is packing uh, the suitcase for his uh, his brother, um, and he's doing this thing where he's folding the shirts against his chest. Uh, he's just holding them up. In, and you know how you when you fold laundry, there's a right way to do it where you like might put it on a flat surface and very carefully fold everything over. And then there's the guy way to do it where you hold it up against your body and flap things over and then roll them over and then put them in a suitcase. And that's what Tom, uh, Jim Broadbent's character is doing. He's, he's helping his brother who can't function for himself, 
pack his suitcase. And the, and the actor's doing this thing where he's just flapping a shirt up against his chest and you know folding them over. And maybe it's competent, maybe it's not, but it's a way a guy would fold clothes and pack when he's in the middle of just having to deal with a whole bunch of other things. And this this bit of physical, uh, this this little bit of. Uh, of action this little bit i just love that thing and it's not obviously it can't be faked because it's a mike lee film and there's not anything that's faked in that um but uh, it's it was something that just stuck out for me uh, when i saw that movie that's good like characters folding laundry is good you can always tell an actor who's never had to fold his laundry in his life like when they're <laughs> like fake folding is like fake computer working like when you get the guy who can't type pretending to hack or whatever uh. <laughs> Somebody actually putting care into folding. That's great. I love that scene. I don't remember Jim Broadbent's actual folding skills, though. Uh, so, Dingus, you, fold... like, you liked Another Year, but unlike one of us, it wasn't on your top ten list. So you didn't like it that much, apparently. That's true. I actually hated it, but except for the laundry parts. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, you fold what? What were you going to say? I fold my laundry by just using the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> You just dry it, folds it, kind of folds and folds it, and then I hang it up also by using the dryer. <laughs> Aren't uh, you glad you asked me what I'd said? <laughs> I didn't see it. another year. I don't like that title. It sounds okay. another year. <sighs> it just sounds tired. The alternate title is enters enter the void. Enter <laughs> the void. See, but you don't exit the void. It's a one way trip. So Spoiler. I kind of my number one is really cheating because oh. I'm now I'm now realizing what the objection would be to it, in that mm. it's not faked, it is in a movie but it's not an actor. It so. is in a movie. Okay, well then I don't see any problem. <laughs> that but that separates it from the others. Well, I'm just now realizing that it's not an actor, and that that's the actual uh-huh. objective. My objective was going to be because it's a doc a documentary, and I don't think documentaries are movies. Uh, this is a documentary what? that's about... Documentaries aren't movies. I know, I know. That's... You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested to hear this, because I almost... Uh, go ahead, Tom. He's Did saying you, so, so many dumb things I can't keep up with, all the crazy I'll shit. Just, I'll just give you a line from this documentary. Sorry, I erased that. Blair Witch? That's, you think that's a documentary? <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, the the documentary about Mark... Borchardt called American Movie. I think Chris Smith. Ah, right, right, right. So that's a movie, a, fool. What are you? <laughs> but he's not an actor. Well, you know what? Mark Borchardt has been in movies. So I'm, you know what? And he's actually in his own movies. So I am going to go ahead and defend. What do you? So there's a great moment where he's holding up a whiteboard where he's talking about projections for how much he's going to make from this movie that he's making if he sells a certain number of copies. And at one point, he wants to wipe out a column of numbers. And he's, you know, Mark Borchardt is so on. He loves talking, and he's really on when they have the cameras running. He's a very engaging, lively, just impassioned fellow. And he's doing this demonstration with the numbers, and he's wanting to wipe out one of the columns of numbers to erase it. And I think he even says, and fuck that. And he's going to erase the numbers to show that he doesn't care about this column, that it's this column that's important. So while he's talking to the camera, he reaches up there and he erases a column, and he's like, fuck that. And he realizes he's erased too emphatically, and he's accidentally gotten some of the numbers the good that he wants to talk about. So he very quickly <laughs> says, sorry for erasing that, and then just goes right back into what he's saying. 
So it's it's hard, and it's such an endearing moment about who this guy is and how yeah. he really cares, but he's so energetic to the point of being a little damaging, but he's also so apologetic and kind of conscientious and accommodating. Uh, he's just such a fascinating guy, and I just love that little moment where he accidentally gets too carried away on his whiteboard and erases the wrong numbers. Uh, so that's my number one, and that's just my favorite little physical bit, and it's not faked. And he's not really an actor, but he kind of. And it is. is a movie, Tom. That's the, that's a perfectly great one. That's your only one that should count. All right, so that's Dingus, how do you feel about that? Does this one count, Dingus? Am I okay with this one, or have I cheated? That's your best one. It's a great choice. Okay, <laughs> that's my review of it. I want to hear what Dingus thinks, though. Is that okay, yeah. Dingus? He sounds quiet. I know. I'm worried. <laughs> Too quiet. Well, I was just letting Kelly answer for me. <laughs> I love that moment so much. It's just so endearing. It is like uh, the real guy suddenly gets to peek out and say something, and then the guy who's presenting things <laughs> jumps back in. It's like there's two personalities there. I just love that moment. And I remember watching it over and over and over again. It's just such – it's so frenetic. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Right. I love that moment. But My if favorite... we're going to choose documentaries for things that aren't faked, then that's a – that's so you're just you just got so weird. You blew my mind just then. Because some doc, some I've got a whole bunch of stuff from Grizzly Man to show up in this. It's going to be amazing. Um, I think there's a lot of CG in Grizzly Man. I just want you to know. That's someone with Dan Haggerty. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, my favorite physical moment in that movie is when he is trying to. There's that one guy, and he's supposed to break the. Uh, wood with his head (laughs) the cupboard and that's supposed to be the shot and it's too hard for them to even cut as it turns out with tools like it's that fucking hard so he's totally destroying this guy's skull repeatedly that's an awesome ah, i love that movie i i do too i mean that's uh it's every and who's the he works with a woman like there's two collaborative filmmakers i think i want to see the movie he made in the movie did you see it coven it's called Coven. Yeah, Coven. Yeah, he doesn't because he he doesn't want to pronounce it Coven because it rhymes with oven, even though that's <laughs> how you say it. Uh, did you guys see that movie ever? Coven. Coven? Uh, it might be yeah, on the DVD actually. It might be on. Let's the... do a podcast of it or something. Uh, I like that. Guy. I haven't thought about that. All right, never mind. <laughs> guys, guys are mean. All right, let's do some runners up. I eliminated from contention all like Buster Keaton stuff and Charlie ah. Chaplin on the skates and every little rascal short ever because there's just so much of it and all none of it was faked and it's just like it all cancels everything else out because right. there's just so much. But all the Buster Keaton stuff's fucking amazing. Well, they're all extended bits like you know Gene Kelly yeah. or or the make them laugh sequence from uh, Singing in the Rain. I mean that's yeah. amazing physical comedy, but that's not really a bit, not in the way that we were that I thought we were talking about. Uh, Dingus, you were talking about uh, like having to, to throw knives back and forth when you were uh, playing Anita in West Side Story. Uh, <laughs> I love in a movie when dudes throw things to each other because I can't throw or catch to save my life. And I don't yeah. know how many takes it, it requires to actually get dudes to actually throw things at, e- at each other and then catch them. But uh, two that come to mind are there's some point where I think – Guy Pierce throws Russell Crowe some keys in L.A. Confidential, like when they're gearing up to go somewhere and there's all this crackerjack dialogue and they're figuring stuff out and one of them tosses keys to the other and it's, uh, it's a great bit of punctuation and it looks really cool and it makes me wish I could throw things. But 
But the scene that I love where one dude throws something to another dude is the opening of Last of the Mohicans when uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and his, his, in, his American Indian brother are running through the woods and you, you find out later they're, they're just hunting a deer. But there's, a, there's just one shot of them running through the woods where the brother throws this big old flintlock rifle over to Daniel Day-Lewis and he catches it. <laughs> That's my favorite instance of a dude throwing something to another dude. Hmm. Well, my, my last of the Mohicans one was going to be his, his rolling cigarettes thing because he's famously known for refusing to have anybody do that for him. In Last of the Mohicans? Yeah, he wanted to roll his own cigarettes, not have anybody else smoking in that mm-hmm. movie. He did. He and also had to load all those gun. muskets, too. My favorite oh, throne gun thing is, is the Untouchables, but I, I don't know mm. if that's faked or not. CG. Yeah. Uh, what else, Tom? Uh, so how about Jennifer Lawrence eviscerating a squirrel in Winter's Bone? <laughs> that, that's... They're doing what's going on in there. It's not like a close-up of it. That's I, funny because uh, I read an article where, where one of the consultants of the film he he said that his uh, his one regret was that they didn't do that um, that dressing scene properly. Uh, it, it was oh. real, but but it's not the way you would actually dress it. You know, uh, and any any hunter would understand that. But oh, but otherwise, he was fine. Right. But uh, since we're city slickers, we fell for it. Yeah. Okay, well, here's one. It's a, this was on my list for a while until I thought of Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Uh, right. I love the bits with... <laughs> no going back. <laughs> I love the bits with Robert Shaw hooking himself up to the fishing rigging. Uh-huh. Jaws. Yeah. Uh, like, there's all the cool stuff with the barrels later. But just the one scene where he's doing, like, hardcore, professional, I'm getting serious now, fishing stuff kind of surreptitiously. While uh, while Hooper and Brody are doing other stuff, and you know in his head something's going on, and he puts his feet in the bracket, and he buckles the harness around himself, and uh, you know, and then he starts instructing him, you know, pour water on the reel. Like I don't know any fishing stuff, but but I got the sense there that that was like, you, you know, that was kind of like Richard Roxburgh with the rope and Sanctum. Like wow, this is a guy who really knows his professional fishing stuff, and and it reminds me a bit of the Steven Spielberg who used to enjoy like the process of professionals doing something yeah. and see some of that in the, one of my favorite Steven Spielberg scenes of all time. And that's that air traffic control. Scene yeah. of the third kind where it's just dudes staring at a monitor or staring at a series of monitors. Actually, I think they all converge around one and they're talking uh-huh. on their sets to slowly, play. very slowly. They and it's converge. just all professional process. You know, you uh-huh. don't necessarily know jargon. Yeah. It's jargon. And, and there's some of that in Quint, getting all that like fishing gear going uh when when they first run into the shark you don't see the shark of course at that point every robert shaw scene could be on the list it's kind of true i'm sure but does he have some great stuff in the sting well i just meant jaws oh oh okay (laughs) but the art traffic controllers could be on the list too that didn't seem faked it looked like people actually staring at a really little tiny screen like they could see what was going on the air traffic control scene, a lot of that's in the dialogue, though. Yeah, um, but if the way it's delivered... Well, yeah. See, now I'm just being as silly as you with your hand gestures. <laughs> but <laughs> but you're, okay, you have a bunch of like middle-aged men staring super intently at a green radar screen with very little information on it. But all the, all the actions, like what the guy's saying and all these numbers and acronyms. And it's a very exciting scene, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Why doesn't he make stuff like that anymore? Who wrote that shit? 
That's such a great scene. I'm he bummed that look. Oh no, he didn't. That it was that has to have been Alan Dean Foster. It just says his name. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys didn't see the American, right? No. Gun right. stuff. Tony has some good gun handling in that. Uh, the Japanese guy catching his lighter after he lights his girlfriend's cigarette in a mystery train. He, like, flings it up in the air, and he opens his shirt pocket, and it falls in. CG. You remember that? CG. So racist. Also, this was my original number one, Tom. I think you'll enjoy this. Sorcerer. The trucks on the bridges. That's not a bit, though. I think of that as a set. Uh, that's what so... I was thinking, too. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That, that, that truck... That, the thing with the truck is just so grand in Sorcerer. That's just amazing. I, it's yeah. not fake. That's the brilliance no. of it. It's not faked, but uh, that's like a, yeah, I would call that a set piece and way more than a bit. And that's not a matter of an actor. Although, you could make the argument that those trucks are like characters in that movie. And just certain shots of where it really looks like it's about to tip over and it doesn't. Like, was the whole production crew just standing there going, uh... <laughs> or screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I like your, your rendition of their dialogue. Yeah, that's my impression of Friedkin. <laughs> also, Fitzcarraldo. Does that count? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, very good. But yeah, way more than a bit by an actor. Uh, yeah. So uh, bringing it, sort of scaling it down a little bit, here's a little bit that I love, and I don't know who the actor is. He doesn't have any dialogue. He's just an extra. But I love, I don't know if, Cameron told him to do it, if it's his own instinct, but I love that it happens. There's a shot in Aliens where Sigourney Weaver is talking to the the, the corporate board or whatever about what happened to her. And it's the scene where the woman says, the, the cigarette-smoking woman says, uh, there are no indigenous life forms on LV-247. Mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver says, did I cue sharply drop when I was away? <laughs> I already said it wasn't indigenous. Uh, so that's whole scene. And when Sigourney Weaver finally this almost breaks down and says, if just one of those things gets here, then all of this won't matter. And she grabs a whole bunch of papers from the guy to her right, and she's like waving this clutch, she's clutching this handful of like pages that she's crumpled up. And the extra, you can see from the frame, he's reaching into the frame because he wants the pages back that she's picked up. Uh, I love that <laughs> little bit. What? Yeah, the extra is reaching into the frame. Yeah, the, the the guy whose paper, she's grabbed a bunch of papers from the table that she's wanting to crumple to make a point, and the guy sitting there wants his papers back. You see him reaching his hand up to try to grab them out of her hand. Like, uh, hey, I need those. What's he need them for? She's the main They're actress. His pages. They're his pages. Oh. She's reached over to where he's got all this paperwork. It's a script. She's taking that's, his sides. That's Ridley Scott, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, but it's aliens. It's James Cameron. I know, and Ridley Scott's try- saying, g- 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 "Give me that." Yeah. <laughs> huh. Um, how about how do you guys feel about gluing the struts in the King's Speech? Ah, good. Oh, that's a fantastic. Why wasn't that on your list, Dingus? Yeah, racist. Um, because I couldn't ascertain whether or not what was going on there was real or what they were doing, and. And it's kind of a an element of the scene and an important element of speech psychotherapy. And I wanted things that were more like little incidental bits. But I really uh, like that's one of my favorite moments from last year. Let me check your list real quick. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, that's better than anything on your list, Dingus. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I love that bit. Oh, I can't believe. Yeah, because he's. Oh, I'm sad that you didn't put that on there. I am too. And talking <laughs> with marbles. Hmm. He really did that. Uh, how about Philip Seymour Hoffman trashing his bedroom in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? 
Mm. Does that count? Is that a bit? I've decided that it does count. Because I love that. I love the physical interpretation Philip Seymour Hoffman brings to that scene. It's, And I don't even really want to say too much about it, but it's sort of like Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is this great crime, drama, family, tragedy kind of thing. And there's a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman, devastating stuff has happened to him. And my guess is in the script it says he trashes his bedroom. Uh, and what Philip Seymour Hoffman does with probably what I imagine is a very simple stage direction is just fantastic insight into the character and something I've never really seen before. Uh, I love that scene uh, and I love his take on it. Yeah, that's a good one. It's not as good as um, Obi-Wan's gesture. But <laughs> uh, boy, Alkanis would hate you for remembering that. Well, at least I can pronounce uh, his name correctly. He was always annoyed that Star Wars was what he'd be remembered for I, I, anyway, well, you know, and now. I, I, as far as physical gestures, I far prefer the way he falls on the detonator and bridge over the River Kwai. So if <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah. I just love the way he sort of falls sideways. That's great. I, that's a great physical Great. My favorite basketball moment is uh, Chevy Chase spinning the basketball in Fletch. Does he fumble it or is he actually doing it? No, he does it. He's, he's in his apartment and he's talking and he spins the basketball on his finger and it's very clear that he knows how to do that and I like that little bit. Okay. I also like uh, Roddy Dangerfield and Caddyshack saying his arm's broken and he holds up his arm and he just moves it really stupidly. <laughs> like, well, look, it's broken. And he just, like, waggles his wrist, and it looks fucking retarded and awesome. That's my new number one. JK. Yes? How about William Hurt fishing for his keys at the end of uh, A History of Violence? You know, I you know, that goes right into the same little thing that, uh, the same little cubby that Kelly's go into. I, I wasn't, I, I really like Kelly's choices, but I wasn't interested in fumbles. I was interested in, in, in actors doing something proficient. Like, for instance. Well, it is proficient. It's proficient fumble. John Cazale could catch a gun. He was like a uh, but, sniper. But and doing something that the care the character doing something that the, the actor has learned to do. Here's one for you guys. Uh, this was brought to you by Mike Cathcart from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, called in and suggested Val Kilmer with the cup in Tombstone. Yeah, mm. I thought of that. Awesome. I, that was that's an awesome one because yeah. it's preceded by. A, a show of uh, of real proficiency with a revolver. Yes. And yeah, that's a great idea. And, and yeah, he's Dreyfusing the Robert Shaw guy with the revolver. See so this week's that. prize goes to Mike Cathcart in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yay! <laughs> Congratulations, Mike. Uh, any other? Uh, you bet he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> any other uh, physical bits that are not faked by an actor that made your runners-up list, but not your actual list? Uh, there's a there's a goofy moment in War Games that was really profound for me as a as a kid watching the movie, where an actor butters a um, uh, an ear of corn using a piece of bread. He's buttered a piece of bread and then he rolls the corn in that bread, and I just <laughs> like that bit of action because because as a kid that had never occurred to me. That's a great way to butter a piece of corn. Just butter a piece of bread and then roll the corn in it, and everybody in the theater. I remember seeing it in the theater and everybody in the theater going, ugh. And me thinking, oh, that's great. I can do that. I can do that. And you don't have the, the butter sliding off the corn. That's question, great. question, of course, that we're all wondering now, Dingus, is do, do you do that? I don't. I can fumble a revolver and not catch it. 
And I can cry. do a Jedi mind trick. I'm doing it right now. You guys can't see it, but I'm doing that whole little finger wave. You're doing a Jedi mind gesture. Tom's nude, by the way. Uh, the, the, I also like... Um, it was really hard to pick. Uh, there were a number of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis things that I thought about because he's known for like learning stuff. Uh, and at the beginning of There Will Be Blood, he he's he's working at the very beginning. He's working and, and using this pickaxe, and then he he has this metal file that he uses to sharpen the pickaxe. And it's very clear that the actor is working at that. Um, I kind of like that, but it's 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 something that they're showing us. It's not just sort of an incidental thing. Does it have to be incidental? It doesn't, but I was I was kind of working for... I, I mean, I really liked Tom's initial uh, idea, how he presented it as as that thing from of, uh, Sanctum, where the, the guy just happens to be coiling rope while the scene's going on. And right. and the camera isn't necessarily on that. Right. It's just, that's what the guy's doing. It's, he's You know, I thought about Sam Neill. Does he do anything in Dead Calm that would be apropos? I, I just like that idea of of an actor doing something incidentally that he happens to know how to do, and it's clear he's proficient at it because it's just he just it's just fluid, um, but right. it's not it's not the focus of the scene. Like I, I also right. thought of William Hurt doing uh, sign language in in Children of a Lesser God, but but that's so integral to that film that I, I, I sort of shied away from those types of things. It's right. I know what you're, it's it's the incidental stuff like Obi Wan doing a Jedi mind trick with his hands. Where it's not <laughs> Oh, or, exactly, exactly. Or like when Luke um, gets the lightsaber to fly to him when he's hanging upside down in the cave in Hoth. Fake. Yeah. That was fake. so real. Fake. Uh, That's faked. He oh, was upside down. <laughs> because Tell Norway us. is the other side of the earth. What is our 3x3 three three for next week, Kelly Wand? Wait, also the cigarette wrapper in uh, No Country for Old Men. Okay, it's my last time. Um, I mean, it's like, it's such a broad topic. Let's get to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, click 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 click. Can't remember. Do you guys want an easy one? We want you one want... you like. We want you to pick your favorite one that you think would be most exciting for us and the listeners and for yourself for next week's three by three. All right. Okay. Well, this one sounds boring, but it'll lead to lively discussion. And the other one sounds interesting, but it just be like. Mm. So that'll happen in three weeks. Look forward to that. This will be the more challenging one. Because this last one was too easy. (laughs) Three biggest plot holes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love this already. (laughs) Nothing is off the table. Do you have any examples? Is there anything you would like to... You know, like the Richard Roxbury thing. I don't think this all is... All right, here, I'll give you an no, example. No, 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 don't even touch this one. Come on, Kelly Wand, that's awesome. That says all it needs to say, don't you think? I have like 13 Terminator ones by the, just well, Terminator. But, I mean, don't take stuff off the table. I mean, did you, is there a reason to take stuff off the table? Come on, we can go all over the place with this. This is great. My list is already done and overdone. <laughs> like, I could I could do a whole podcast on this shit. All right. We have a week to finesse your list, too, so... All right. Well, the other one's easy. This one is considered... <laughs> Good. No, yeah. Okay, three biggest plot holes. I love it. I don't need to... Ones that just, like, every time you see the movie, you go, oh, yeah, this shit. Oh, what the... <laughs> like, what do you mean? Right. What do you mean by plot? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Something, an inconsistency in the story. I think everybody knows what a plot hole is. Yeah, this is great. This is good. <laughs> and it's just... It just Dingus makes is you... Just ba- Remind you, Kelly Wand. Really? 
Is he? I mean, it's kind of a writerly one, so I, maybe it's boring. For... Uh, and actually, we might next week's movie might be a candidate. Uh, next week, we will be seeing Unknown, starring Liam Neeson. And the, the reason I want to see it, and Dingus, uh, and Kelly Wong, we convinced him, uh, is it's the, the director of Orphan, which we all love. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, Juan I want to see it. Serrat, I think is his name. Racist. Director of Orphan, and there was another reason that we wanted to see it. How, how did we sell? Because uh, oh, House- also he did the Wax. What is it? Wax Museum. House of no. Wax. House of Wax, which Kelly which wants. Which I like. I like. Yeah. I don't love it, but I do like it. The ending's good. So join us for that next week. Not House of Wax. Not Orphan, but Unknown. Starring Liam and don't actually Wax. join us. Just hit play. I mean, don't show up at Tom's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we will also then do Kelly Wan's 3x3 three three of the uh, three biggest plot holes. In so. movies, not in life. Like the 2012 presidential election. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what? Do you know something that we don't, Kelly Wan? No, I, I've entered the void. That's all I'm going to say. I am Tom Chick, and I was joined by Christian Muratsky, I think. Is that right? That's close. It's Muratsky, one consonant away. I said I got it right this time, uh, and also Kelly Wand. I think I was a marijuana plant has been reincarnated as me. For more information on imaginary reincarnation, visit our website after you die.